Hey, this is Kim Davis and welcome to another one-on-one. -on -one. I'm very pleased to have with us today uh, Benoit Grushko, who is the CEO and co-founder of Timo. Welcome. Thank you. So, you're, uh, where are you based? Because I see you have luggage with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm based out of Paris, France. And I'm actually, our business, we're operating both in Europe and in the US. So I'm coming to the US around one week every month. Okay, so you founded Timo, you founded it in Europe, but you now have an international business. Yes, absolutely. So our European HQ is in Paris and our North American HQ is in New York. Okay, now we are going to talk a bit about Europe today. It's obviously a painful subject for anyone who was born in, in the UK like me right now, but <laughs> let's not talk about that. <laughs> I'll do my best to be dispassionate. One of the really important things which happened in, in Europe in recent times affecting any companies dealing with data and especially consumer data was GDPR. We're about seven or eight months into GDPR now? Uh, actually, a bit more than a year. That was really? May 25th last year. The time does fly. Um, <laughs> we analysed GDPR quite closely when it came out and then we also went back to look at whether companies had fallen foul of the regulations and I know Google got quite a sizable fine but I think Timo has an interesting story here because you, you upset the regulators somehow in the early days. Yeah, so what maybe to give a bit of context there, sure. uh, Timo is a performance marketing platform for retail, brick and mortar industries in general, so retail, groceries, restaurants, um, so on and so forth. And uh, one of, for that, we leverage different kinds of data in order to get the best performance. One of the sources of data that we work a lot with is location data. Right. And location data, especially when it's granular and accurate, is very, very interesting from a marketing standpoint. It's also very sensitive from yes. a privacy standpoint. And so, um, as a consequence, uh, following GDPR, the French Data Protection Authority decided to define some new specific guidelines for that kind of data. Right. And to get that message heard, they decided to uh, send us, along with a couple of other companies from the space, a notice. Right. So we were actually the first one uh, that they pointed, uh, basically because we were, uh, we're, the, we're the leader in the space, we're the most exposed company, so it was pretty obvious for them to, to go after us first. And so that was in July last year, two months after GDPR. Following that, uh, we worked with them hand in hand to actually define those new rules and be clear on what's expected from, from, from companies like, like us. So really the point here was that it was an ecosystem-wide problem and they, want, they, they picked a specific example because that's how they operate in order to define the new framework. So um, lots of back and forth. And in the beginning of October last year, uh, we actually uh, got publicly announced as being GDPR compliant along with the release of the GDPR. It's been a rough few months for so, us, uh, as you can imagine, but uh, we actually came out of that in a much stronger position because uh, GDPR is a pretty generic text uh, governing you know, any kind of data management. Um, and so, Having a very very specific rules when it comes to like you know 
location-based and more generally speaking behavioral advertising that's very helpful for our customers, for our partners and for us to be clear on what we've got to do and especially as we got the stamp of approval uh, it's, it allows everyone to, to think long term uh, without any, any concerns. It sounds like this is a kind of a collaborative process, in other words, although they picked on you and a couple of other companies as an example, it gave you the opportunity to sit down with them and refine and improve their understanding of what you were doing. Yes, absolutely. So the way it works, like they have, there's the understanding of, uh, there's their interpretation of the law and, and what's expected. And then for our specific example, which is like location-based advertising, that type of location data, that type of advertising um, programs, what's to be expected. And so this is where there's a bunch of back and forth, we're like, all right, so how about this? Because we need this, 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 this and that. Well, actually, uh, that's okay, but we have a problem with that principle, so we may need to adjust a little bit that too, or, so, so that's kind of, that's where there's, yeah, it's been pretty collaborative. So just to dig a little deeper, I mean, from an outsider's point of view, it might seem very simple, that if, you're, if what you're doing is monitoring or tracking a customer's location and then pushing appropriately relevant ads or messages to them, all they need to do is opt in. But that, it must be more complicated than that. It's not that much more complicated. The whole thing is, what does opt-in mean? Right. What is an opt-in? What is an opt-in that is compliant or not? And I think that was really the whole point, which is what you usually see today on the internet, if you sometimes uh, browse on UK websites, mm -hmm. um, you have the choice between like, okay, or I want to know more. Yeah. And according to what, what, the, what the CNIL, the French DPA said, was that that's not a legitimate consent. I see. Because yeah. a legitimate consent, at least as far as our like, granular location data, which is particularly sensitive, is concerned. The legitimate consent needs to be a free consent. It needs to be as easy to say yes mm -hmm. than no. So it's not like, okay, or I want to know more, and you need to scroll down for 10 pages and click three times to find the no. Right. It needs to be like, you've got the choice between I want to benefit from that service, or I don't want to benefit from that service. Yes. And that's an actual opt-in. And from what, what I can recall of actually reading uh, the GDPR, which I did, uh, you're probably accountable to uh, members of the public in terms of whether you're continuing to store their data, how long you're keeping it for, that kind of thing? Yes, so that was another thing that was a change. Um, it's, it, was a, it was a much more of a back-end and like sort of uh, underlying change, but, um, but still worth mentioning. Uh, before that, cookies, mm -hmm. you were allowed to store them for 13 months, period, pretty much. Yeah. And um, with GDPR, it's slightly different. You should only keep the data for as long as you need it yeah. and as long as it's, let's say, balanced. Balanced means keeping data is impacting users' privacy, so the value they should get out of that data should be balanced with the sensitiveness of storing that data. And so, based on that like sort of high-level principle, we define some very practical guidelines about based on the level of granularity of the data, based on the type of programs that we're leveraging this data, how long we're able to keep the data for. And in terms of personally identifying information, 
People are concerned about the idea of their location being tracked. If, for example, I had opted in to, to something and you were tracking me, you would know that I'd been to a cafe, that I'd been to the office, that I'd been on a bus. But do you know that's Kim Davis with all my personal attributes? Or is it an anonymous person who's showing this behavior to you? So, as far as Timo is concerned, we, know, we don't know anything about your identity, so we don't know your name, we don't want to know your email, your phone number, any of those things. And um, we believe that's important because uh, that's key to respect users' privacy. Now when it comes to GDPR, there's actually no such distinction really, it's all personal data. Right. So as long as it's tied to an individual, whether you get the identity or not, it's personal data and so it's governed by GDPR. So what you're, you're storing is anonymous records, but even so, they've got to be GDPR compliant. Yes, exactly. Got it. Now, of course, GDPR was, in a sense, the beginning of the story, because here in the United States, where you're doing business, we now have some less stringent, but similar legislation in Canada, and the possibility of regulations slightly different in each case from various states, unless, of course, the federal government gets involved and has some kind of nationwide regulation. Does this keep you awake at night? Are you constantly monitoring how you need to comply in these different... Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, we're very sensitive about that because we want to be... Actually, we're... I'd say we're in a pretty good position on that front because uh, we're GDPR compliant and we've been like the first company to be officially GDPR compliant actually and we're applying similar principles here in the US so even though it's not required by the law we want to make sure that we do everything we can to respect users privacy and now there's things that we have control over and then there are other things which are more like ecosystem wide uh, you know systems mm -hmm. and so we can't just uh, do manage the, those on our own so what we do then is we have a pretty clear you know, positioning and we're trying to push everyone towards providing users with more control and transparency. And so when it comes to, you know, more precisely the forthcoming US regulations, mm -hmm. um, we will see exactly what they turn out to, especially CCPA, but um, we can fairly assume that it's going to be significantly inspired by GDPR. Uh, I mean, the, the, the contrary would be a surprise. Yes. Um, and, um, and I think it's great. I think it's great because users need more control and transparency and that's important to keep their trust in the ecosystem. So that, That's crucial, isn't it? Because this whole thing only works if customers are willing to play along and they're willing to let our respectable companies make use of their data in return for the kind of value they get, relevant messages, opportunities, that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so that's where, um, you know, it's, it's becoming a bit more complicated and, uh, you know, I, it's not like the devil is in the details, but um, yes, uh, users should be more aware and it depends on users' willingness to provide their consent. At the same time, there's a value exchange behind that, right? Mm -hmm. On one hand, uh, users share their data to benefit from more personalized advertising services, for instance. On the other hand, uh, they get some content for free. So you've got a problem here, which is, and once again, users should be free to share their data or not. But in the case where users don't, then it completely offsets 
the or changes the value exchange because mm -hmm. they get they get the same content, but the value for the publisher is obviously non like nowhere equivalent. Nice. So we'll see how things evolve, but I think ideally where I see things is there's this value exchange, and then the question is. Um, how is it materialized to the user? So, like for instance, could be either they decide to pay with like money, mm -hmm. or they see like two targeted ads, or they see five non-targeted ads before you know getting the content. So we're not there yet, but if you think about it, like yes. that would be fair, right? Yes. Fair on all sides. So uh, just talk a little bit more about the kind of value you're delivering to users for your clients. Is it just ads, discounts, is it broader than that? So the value that we deliver to our customers is really helping them gain efficiency and get a better return on investments mm -hmm. with their uh, digital media investments. So, uh, you know, when you're an advertiser, uh, what you really care about is how much money you put and how much you get out of that. And thanks to our data and technology, we help brick and mortar advertisers uh, increase that number. Mm -hmm. So um, the way we do that is thanks to data and technology, where you know they usually have marketing programs with operations offers going on very regularly, and then the question is: All right, what's the best marketing mix? What's the, who are the best vendors who are going to maximize the return for that given budget? Right? Like, what's my ideal marketing mix? And what we help them do there is uh, basically um, displaying their ads on the most relevant targets uh, with the best algorithms to buy at the best price in order to get the best return. I see. Are you, are you, you're act, actually executing the, the media for yes. yes. Okay. And of course, the return on investment comes if you can identify relevant targets by things like location, where they are, when they're there, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So if you think about it, how it works is we're going to look at every single location of a given advertiser. And for all those locations, we're going to look at, all right, who are the hot customers for that location? Where are they coming from? Um, what are their interests? Um, how likely are them to um, react to an advertisement? And so based on that, we're going to target the most relevant people to drive them into the store. Okay, so it's behavioral as well. It's not yes. just someone's outside a cafe. You also know this is a person who likes the coffee. Exactly. You know, you may be right now uh, sitting at home uh, 10 miles away from that restaurant, but if you happen to be working in that area and actually frequently going on restaurants, you know, at lunch, you're potentially a very, very relevant prospect, even though you are miles and miles away right now. So it's not just about where you are at a given time, it's really about how likely you are to get to that restaurant. Got it. I'd just like to finish off with one question, kind of off the wall, and I'm certainly not asking you to name anyone here, but with your knowledge of the, of the data space in Europe, do you think there are other companies out there which are far from GDPR compliant and maybe getting into trouble soon? So, it's, it's honestly hard to answer the question in the sense that like, I don't know what's you know, behind companies' uh, lifts. Sure. Uh, however, what I would say is that would be like, you know, being um, obviously non-GDPR compliant as of today 
is a very risky game and I don't see any serious company uh, willing to take that risk. So I, I wouldn't say there's any obvious you know, uh, bad player in the ecosystem. Yeah. Now, um, there are still several things that remain to be clarified, I would say, as part of the interpretations for all the different uh, sides of our uh, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so um, we're looking forward to getting more clarification there in the next you know, month or years. Okay, the GDPR story far from over. It's just, I think it's the very beginning. What, what we're saying is, so, you know, internet came, came around mm -hmm. and with it like the uh, explosion of uh, digital, the digital economy and digital advertising in general. And GDPR is really the first time there's, you know, I mean, there's been, there has been some regulation so far, but it was, you know, pretty loose is not the right term, but not very restrictive. Mm -hmm. And GDPR is the first time there's an actual, like, you know, very serious rule about that. And, uh, but it's the first one, right? Yes. And so as user behavior evolves, as the ecosystem evolves, as uh, users, you know, reaction and uh, awareness of um, all the data-driven products and, the, and how the digital economy works in general evolve, uh, it wouldn't be a surprise, uh, it would be very obvious that the regulation would evolve accordingly. Okay, Benoit, thank you very much for your insights, thanks for joining us. Thank you for uh, inviting me.